because you love us. And so I ask today that as we turn to the scripture that you would lead us and that you would help us to follow. I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so last couple of weeks we've been talking about God of miracles. And a couple of times this year we're going to spend some time talking a little bit about the core values of this church. And core values are the kind of things that if you pull it out, it's no longer that thing anymore. Like my favorite thing is chocolate chip cookies. Well, if you pull the chocolate chips out, it's no longer a chocolate chip cookie. Right? So that's what core values are. Uh, For some churches, it's like we say things that we want to be, that we think we are, but we really aren't. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about aspirational values. I'm talking about actual values. Like, for example, I value God and my relationship with God more than anything else. And the church is a backbone to me. It helps me. It is, I, I believe in it. I'm, I'm a part of it. I'm building the church, but I don't give any money. Well, that what we've got there is an aspirational value and a good decision that has been made, but has that has not grown into maturity yet. Right? So, I, hey, listen, I've been there where there were days where a dollar was painful generosity. I feel like there's a story with Jesus talking about that. So it's not the amount, right? It's the decision, right? Where something is actually a value on the inside of you. Now, pretty much everybody here has been around for our um, rebranding of the church, City Harbor Church, a safe place to find and follow Jesus. And so I want to talk for just a few weeks about what it means to be a safe place to find and follow Jesus. A safe place. Um, And so we're going to talk about just kind of some key ingredients, and we're going to pull it from the Scripture. Um, The This picture is the Oregon coast, and it's a picture that I took... um, it's a view that's really similar to a place that uh, my dad would take me um, once a year in the morning and we would sit and just talk about the last year, what that was like and how things are going now and what the next year would be. And dad would really just ask questions and just kind of let me talk. Um, and so it was is very much for me uh, as a memory, a safe place. Feel me, right? It's a, very much a safe place. And it's, it's a reminder to me of that. Now, <clears throat> some of you recall from our story of before the start of this church, there was a time where we were really in prayer and fasting and going through assessment and other things. Um, but where God took me to Psalm 107 and a couple of verses just jumped off the page to me. And that was really the day when I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if we didn't move to Baltimore in the middle of the city to start a church, that we would be disobeying God. And these words that are on the screen are, are those words. So it's a, a part of the, the big picture of the description of what God had done in leading his people. It says, he led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. So this spiritual image of a safe harbor was 
and, and in the city was coming on the heels of, I've been studying how churches got started in the scripture and all I saw was churches that got started in the middle of the city. I didn't see any that get started in villages. That's a totally different topic. But that was how God also led me to being in the middle of the city. And But in that, God was communicating to me what kind of church he wanted to build in Baltimore City. A safe place. Right? A safe place in the city and a harbor. And, you know, at the time, I only knew a fraction of just how much that is woven into the history of Baltimore. And now through reading and study and other things, I actually could talk easily for a few hours about how this description is an essential part of Baltimore City's history. You can't describe the history of Baltimore City without talking about a safe harbor, but also a city harbor and, and what that means. But I want to, I want to focus on, on that. And, and what was interesting is that when we first really had a, um, a public gathering, it was at a church, uh, not too far from here. And it was because some friends were coming into town. Um, and it was January 2011 where we went from having a Sunday morning service in houses to in a public place. And then pretty quickly we were in the uh, Rotunda Cinemas. We spent five years in the Rotunda Cinemas. And as a result of that, we were never a one neighborhood church. We were always like from jump. Because I think the Pharaohs and the Beatties came on the same Sunday. We were um, Waverly and Hamden, like right from the get-go. So we've never been a one-neighborhood church, which a lot of people say is the smartest way to serve Baltimore cities, to be a one-neighborhood church. I've never been accused of being smart. So, um, you know. <laughs> but I think, I think a part of it is actually the identity that God gave us as a church. And a number of other churches that were started about the same time as us and churches that are older have since told me that our church is a city-serving church. That's how they describe us. So that's like, oh, okay. But let's come back to the whole safe harbor concept. Because in a harbor, there's coming and going. But safety is a big part of it. Now, this is why murder in our city is so emotionally traumatic. Because over the decades and the generations and really the centuries, a lot of people have moved to Baltimore because it was a safe place. Actually, a great deal of African-American population moved here because it was a safe place. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about those that were brought here against their will in slavery, but Baltimore City's African-American population, of which, by the way, in a two-mile radius from here, is 70%. Right? So, some of you are minority. Come on, y'all, breathe. Right? So... But even today, whether somebody is gay or somebody is in an occult or somebody is um, an entrepreneur or a chef, even today people move here because this is known as a place that's safe. And that's why murder is so traumatic emotionally in Baltimore. Am I getting anywhere? Okay, so trust, we're going to get to more scripture in just a second. What would be four ingredients of how we as a church, as a spiritual family, can be a safe place. What are four, four basic ingredients of this core value that you can't take away from us or, or we're not us anymore? Well, one, as I said just a minute ago, I uh, talked about the value of living life with a God focus instead of a selfish focus. Well, one is God. Right? If we don't have a relationship with God, this is not a safe place. Right? Second is love. 
Oh, there he goes again. Got to talk about that love word, right? Love. Well, love, a God kind of love makes a, a safe place. What, what have we learned about love like that? It's a decision. It's an action. It is faithful, patient. Am I jogging your memory? Kind and selfless, right? If that's the kind of love that people smell when they come in here, if that's the kind of love that people expect when they come in here, then it's a safe place, right? Where there's a commitment to each other. Forgiveness. We have, this has to be a place of forgiveness because we're going to hurt each other. Right? Forgiveness and faith. If we don't have faith, if there isn't a forward focus, if there isn't a seeing what God sees and agreeing with it and taking action in that direction, then this is not a safe place. And it's not a very comfortable place because what happens is this group of people gets focused only on this group of people and newcomers immediately feel like outsiders. And guess what? With God, there are no, no outsiders. Okay? God, love, forgiveness, faith. So let's talk a little bit about God, a focus on God. And how a relationship with God is what makes us a safe place. We go through several scriptures quickly. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. God is my place of safety. This is from a person that has known what it is to not be safe. This is a the person writing this. People tried to kill him. And he's saying, in God. Not in his sword, which he did defend himself with a sword. Not in my running away, which he did run away. Not in my cave where I hid, right? There are many other things that he had found safety in, but ultimately at the end of the day, when he wrote out his real emotions, his core values, what he said is that in God is my place of safety. So some of you know that this past fall, a really good friend of mine died suddenly. Totally out of the blue, totally unexpected, dropped dead in a restaurant bathroom. And I have learned, because this is not the first time I've lost somebody suddenly, that one of the things that helps me process that is to think about, you know, after kind of the initial shock and actually one of the first, the first thing I thought was the, the, the serenity prayer and, and walking through those things, but then come around to focus on what are the good things that I learned from that person's life. That really helps me process. What are the good things that I learned from that person's life? And that that person happens to be the, the one who bought us our first drum set as a church. So anyway, that experience, then I was looking at um, the pastor who's hosting the Unplug conference he has a blog that he kind of used the Lion King Simba, like circle of life, like packaging to kind of set up his little, but his thesis is this blog is for where I'm going to post the lessons in life that are the most meaningful to me that I want to make sure that my kids know if I were to drop dead today, they know the things that are the most important to me. And so that, that made me think. And so my poor daughter, that started a conversation, a series of <laughs> conversations as I was driving her to school, as I started to talk about the things that are the most important to me. 
I think it's okay to prepare for death. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm one who, I'm ready to pray for the resurrection of the dead at any moment. Let's do it. Let's get it on. I believe in it. I believe it. It's real. It happens. It's, you know, but I also believe that until Jesus returns, there will also be death. And it's also good to prepare for death. And one good way that you can prepare for death is to talk about the good things that you like, that you enjoy, that you appreciate about each other. You know, my, my, I had one grandfather who passed away in March. My other grandfather is very close to passing away. We've had some really meaningful conversations. I'm just asking him questions, get him talking. He's gone each time he goes further, further back in his life and told me about his salvation experience and then he went further back talking about his parents and then his grandparents and different things and telling me stories I never heard before but you know then I just stopped and asked him you know grandpa is there anything else that you would have to say that you would want me to understand he said just keep your eyes on Jesus it's the most important thing to him and people that know him know that his life message is there's victory in Jesus so this talk today this is one of those kind of things. We're having that kind of family moment right now. If I drop dead tomorrow, this is one of the things that I want to make sure that you know. That you know is valuable to me and that you know is an essential part of the story of this church. This is one of those things that you can't tell the story of this church without this value. And this value includes, we don't come up with our own ideas here. We answer God's ideas. Are you with me? A lot of people today are trying to do church by trying to do something that is their idea. I'm not down for that. I want to answer God. And included in that is that in God I have found a place of safety. Are you with me? That's what can make this feel like a safe place. Psalm 46.1 God is our refuge and strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. Does that sound like somebody who's off in a distance who you leave a voicemail for and maybe you can get together with in a month? Oh, heck no. That says ready to help in times of trouble. Right? Psalm 91, 1 and 2. Those who live, really important word. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust Him. So is it only in the songs? No, no, no. It's in other places of the Bible too. Deuteronomy thirty-three, twenty-seven. Say Deuteronomy five times fast. Just kidding. The eternal God is your refuge, and His everlasting arms are under you. Now, if you're going to feel that, if that's going to be a personal reality for you, you got to give God some time. Like where you shut out everything else, right? To feel His everlasting arms. Psalm 31, 19 and 20. How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. You hide them in the shelter of your presence. 
safe from those who conspire against them. You shelter them in your presence, far from accusing tongues. So is this place, is this spiritual family, is this a place where people expect to find accusing tongues? Is this a place where they expect to find people who conspire against them, gossip about them? No. No. I love talking about stuff when it's not a problem. And this is one of those days. Like, this is really not a problem for us. And so it's easier to talk about it. God provides safety from those things. Are you with me? He sounds like a good God. Isaiah 25 and verse 4. But you are a tower of refuge to the poor, O Lord. A tower of refuge to the needy in distress. You are a refuge from the storm and a shelter from the heat. Yeah, summer's coming. This church, your home, my home, our small groups, every time we gather, we gather around a God who is a safe place. And I, I would ask anybody that hosts any kind of gathering in the name of this church, that it would be in the name of the God who is a safe place. Are you with me? That this be a value that's the kind of thing that people describe us as. Expect from us. Right? This, this picture became really famous. This is a French Lighthouse that was built in the, the first 10 uh, years, 1904, eight, something like that. This picture was taken in 1989 in a storm. And a helicopter, a news media helicopter, flew in close to the lighthouse. And the lighthouse keeper came out to look to see, like, is this the Coast Guard? Like, what's happening, right? So this this picture, which obviously is not, you can't see all that well became, evokes a lot of emotion, you know, even probably is on one of those motivational posters, you know, right? And he was safe, by the way. This is the kind of safety that we expect from God, right? And it should be the kind of safety that is for our times of trouble, but not limited to our times of trouble. Are you with me? Right? Not limited to only our times of trouble. It's the kind of safety that we should live in. So how do you do that? I'm so glad you asked. Here's Jesus talking. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. (coughs) Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in, torrents, and the floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. What is Jesus saying? If you will build your life on my teaching, on the teaching of Christ, your life can withstand the storm, can be a safe place. 
how do we, how do we be a safe place in response to a God who is a safe place? How do we go to Him and, and find safety in Him, but then also safety that we can pass on to others? Well, it requires you actively pursuing what is it that Jesus has taught and then living based on what He has taught. So let's take an example. One of the ones that you hear me quote the most. Because Jesus said it was the most important one in the Old Testament. Love God with all you've got. Mind, soul, strength. He was asked, what's the most important command? Love God with all you've got. And he said, a second is equal to it. Love others in the same way you take care of yourself. We as a church will be a safe place as individuals and as a church together if we live our lives based on the teaching of Christ and that starts with living with all your love, all you've got, loving God. Now, a few weeks ago, I taught on hallelujah. And if you missed that, please listen to it on our website through iTunes. We talked about corporate worship. Why do we come together and sing? Why do we get excited when we sing? I believe it's something that is for everybody. If you have been forgiven of your sins, I believe there is a biblical imperative that no matter what you're feeling, you come here and you worship with all you've got. I did it this morning myself, and I felt miserable before, and I feel better now. The caffeine didn't help me earlier. The drugs didn't help me earlier. The medications didn't help me earlier. I'm just saying... I have found if I will worship God with all I've got because I'm focused on what he has already done for me, my salvation, my forgiveness of sins, the fact that heaven is before me, that this pollen allergy is just a temporary thing, right? It's not forever. It's not going to be in heaven, right? And I say, oh my hallelujah, right? Then I can worship God with all I've got. And loving God with all you've got includes living repentant. Because the the message that Jesus spoke, Matthew chapter 4, says that everywhere Jesus went, the message that he taught is repent. Turn away from the way you have been living in a selfish way and turn to live for God with all you've got. So if we're going to love God with all we've got, that means we've got to repent of our sin. Well, if everybody in this church is living a repentant lifestyle, when we mess up and hurt each other, it's a whole lot easier to go, yeah, I'm really sorry. I did that, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. By God's grace, I won't do it again. Will you please forgive me? And be quick to forgive. Be quick to receive God's forgiveness for you. Be quick, be predisposed to forgive each other, right? So if I'm going to love God with all I've got, this is what's included in that. And can you, can you, are you starting to kind of get a sense that if, if that is a reality in us, in our lives, in our homes, and when we gather here, that this is a safe place? Does that make sense? I'm going to give you, just in closing few minutes, four choices. Are you ready? Four choices that we can make so that we will be a safe place for people to find and follow Jesus. The first one. We choose to trust in God as our safe place, relying on Him and receiving His love. We choose to trust in God as our safe place, relying on Him and receiving His love. 
in the 90s, Rebecca and I moved to Virginia, and all of a sudden I, I was told I was a Yankee. That was a, that was a new experience for me. I was like, okay, whatever. That's the baseball team, right? It's not the team they were talking about. And it's because I talk different, right? So you're, y'all ain't from around here. Right? And the first day, in the first few minutes, I got started to get a lesson on the Civil War. Literally, guy starts breaking it down for me, how there would be less racism if the South had won. Whatever. Okay? I do not ascribe to that belief. <clears throat> but the funny thing is, is that they, they said I didn't talk the way that they expected me to talk. I'm going to have just a little bit of a, a throwback here. A lot of people, when they find out that I'm from the West Coast, they expect me to talk like this guy. Dude. 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 First you were all like, whoa. And then you're like, whoa. And then you're like, whoa. Okay, Mr. Turtle. Dude, Mr. Turtle's my father. My name's Crush. What, so what some people, what some people watch Finding Nemo, they thought that that was like a throwback to a stoner culture. Like that's just for the parents so they can laugh while the kids are watching. That's not true. It's a throwback to surf culture. Because he starts to talk about and, and, and ascribe certain values in surf culture. Now I can surf, right? So, and one of those, one of those values, what does he say? One of the first things he says, dude, you got serious thrill issues. Right? He's talking to Nemo's dad. Yo, Nemo's dad's all stressed out, right? Relying on God, trusting in God is more like this than it's not. Oh, that was so good. Dude. Pastor Ben, that was righteous. Right, come on. Come on, somebody. Crush started to explain to Nemo's dad. What was Nemo's dad's name? I don't even remember. Thank you. Weird name for that guy. So he starts to explain it to, to Marlon that it's going to be all right. And they start off talking about the current that they're going to flow in. And a sea turtle understands current. And that if they will use the current, they will be okay. They have an instinct that they're born with that it's going to be all right. And they have an instinct that they're born with that if they leave the eggs buried on the beach, that their babies will be all right. Now, some of them are going to be a part of the circle of life and all that, but you get the point. <laughs> there is, a, there is a, a trust, there is a trust, a relying on, it's going to be okay. And when we get stressed... What, part of what's going on is that in the bedrock of us, like not necessarily here, but you know, somewhere, wherever your bedrock is, there is a doubt that has crept in a fear that the important stuff is not going to be okay. And then stress radiates out from you because what has been affected is that you have come to believe a lie that God is unable to help you. Dude, that was righteous, right? So, trusting on God, relying on God, one thing that I learned about surfing is that you're not going to be any good at surfing if you don't learn how to enjoy the reality that you are not in control. 
You actually can't control your surfboard and move with the momentum of what's happening around you until you have become comfortable with the fact that you are not in control. Because the, the reality is the ocean's just trying to throw you out of it. Right? Right? Surfing works, and there, I, I have a, a, a necklace that I wear sometimes, it's um, usually under my shirt, that has a surfboard that is a reminder to me of this trust in God issue. So I find myself in situations and places where I'm not in control. And some of us just need to learn that lesson. You might have driven yourself here today, but you are not in control of your life. A flat tire might come at any point, right? You are not in control. You didn't create your human body, and you are not capable of creating a human body out of nothing. God is the one who is in control. So if you want to enjoy life, we got to learn how to surf. This is one of these activities that if time and money were no object, I would surf a lot, right? But a part of that comes from a realization that I am not in control, and that's okay. If we, if that's a part of the essential makeup of who we are as individuals and as a church, then this will be a safe place. Because here's what happens. If you, um, if we don't feel safe ourselves, we will more readily view other people as a threat. Right? Somebody who looks different than you, talks different than you, smells different than you, right? Trust in God is a really important thing. I got to move on. I told you four choices. (laughs) Two. I know you're not going to forget it though. Righteous. There's more of that. Trust me. We choose to find our personal identity in Christ. Believing that each person is created in God's image and worthy of love and respect. Come on. It doesn't matter if a person walks in here, walks in your home, walks in your small group. Say, I don't believe in God. I hate God. And I hate Christians. You know what? I get a whole lot more relaxed. Because the truth of the matter is I'm more comfortable with them than I am with church people. I'm just saying that is the truth of my existence. Church folks, as a general rule, make me nervous. People that are just out there with like, I don't, I don't believe, because I have yet to meet a person who says they hate church that I don't agree with something they're saying. Because I've had my own bad experiences. Right? So, and because I feel a safety in God and in my faith and I know they're not going to change my level of faith so I don't feel threatened by that. I feel excited by that. I'm like, yeah, now we can talk. Right? And it doesn't matter. It, whatever the sin that they're in. Drug addiction, murder. I've met people that their lifelong career was kidnapping. And actually out in a village, spent the night, we spent the night, like a dozen of us out together. And he used to kidnap people, particularly white people, and I was one of the only white people there. He could have kidnapped me that night, turned around and sold me. I slept in peace. Like, I know what it is to to be around people that other people think are not safe. Listen, why? Because I have chosen to find my personal identity in Christ. Believing that each person I meet is created in God's image and worthy of love and respect. 
Jesus said, love your enemies. we got to be real in this place. If we are going to be the kind of church you want to be a part of and not the kind of church that people say they hate because they're full of hypocrites, it's, it's here. Right? You, yourself, have to believe that every human is created in God's image and worthy of love and respect. No matter how nasty they are, no matter how much they are like somebody else that hurt you, this is essential. So I'm not trying to, I've not been spending the last five months while everybody's talking about racism and, and hatred of homosexualities and homosexuality and all these other things. I'm not spending all this time on the website trying to broadcast, hey, we love everybody because you know what? We already do. It's who we are. And if I see evidence that it's what we're not, then we're going to have to talk. With love and respect. Because that's sin and I have been sinful and you are sinful. Even though you look great today. Right? But in God we can find a love that changes us. Changes that resentment, that bitterness, that hurt that we felt. Whatever it is that is fueling a dislike of others. Number three. We choose to actively pursue a relationship with God Every day. Oh, I did it again. I got to be honest with you. A lot of, lot of pastors today just deliver sermons that are very simple, very tweetable, and don't get but so honest because honesty is where people get offended and leave. I love you enough to speak the truth. Now, listen, I'm not perfect. And there are many times where I go home and I say, okay, Rebecca, do I need to apologize for that one publicly because I know I messed up there. Like, seriously, I mess up. I do. I say weird things sometimes, sometimes not with the right tone of voice, not, not always with love. And, you know, I, I genuinely ask your forgiveness for that. I'm not perfect, right? But one of the things that you honestly need to hear is that if you're not making this choice, nothing else that we're going to talk about is going to matter until you make this choice. Because I don't have the answers. And guess what? That person sitting next to you, they don't have the answers either. We are not here to fix each other. Come on, somebody say amen. We, we are not here to fix each other. God's the only one. Right? But we shouldn't be pretending we're believers and not be. My reading of history is that the most dangerous people in history are people who said they were Jesus followers, but they weren't. Constantine, Hitler, shall we go down the list? The people that Hitler convinced to give him the power. The The most dangerous people, and today, the most dangerous people in the United States are people that say they're believers, but they are not. Right? I'm not trying to hate on anybody. I'm just looking for honesty. And honestly, between you and God, you need to answer this question. And so if we're going to be a church that is a safe place, everybody in this church, we must choose to actively pursue a relationship with God every day. And just in case you were fuzzy on that, let's clarify. This includes a commitment to have a conversation with God daily and take in His Word daily. How do you know you're spiritually sick? If you don't want to pray and you don't want to read the Bible. 
And listen, I've lived a great deal of my life in that place. Dr. Ben is now in session. If you don't want to do those things, that's a sign that you're spiritually sick. Your spirit is sick. And it's time to take action to do something to help. And sometimes the scripture is going to feel like a pill. A big one. And sometimes healing hurts. But if you will engage with God every day, you will be engaging with the God who loves you. Who's not there looking to judge you, pass judgment over you, tell the whole world that you're bad. Hello? Right? That's the God that you come to. The God that forgives you quickly. that's, That's really good. Conversation with God daily, taking in His Word daily. Listen, there's no condemnation. There's not a single person in this room who hasn't had a week where you did not feel like praying and you did not feel like reading the Bible. Everybody in here has had that feeling. So there's no judgment from being in a place where you're spiritually sick. But we also are not loving you. We're also not helping you if we're not honest about that. If we just pretend, hey, it's okay. So glad you came. Yeah, I'm glad that you came and I want to help you be in a better place. So that when you come next week, you're not as miserable as you are today. That's the motive for this. We finally got there. Choice number four. We choose to love others. Watch this now. By God's grace, with a God kind of love. Faithful, patient, kind, and selfless. A command from Jesus to love other people is always going to feel overwhelming if we understand that to mean based on our own love and out of our own strength and out of the love that we feel in the inside. That is not at all what Jesus said. You're not capable of that. You're capable of faking it for a while. You're capable of having some of it for a little while. But then you're going to get tired and the real you is going to come out. You're only going to love others with a purity where your home is going to be a safe place if you are loving others out of God's love. God can give you His love for them. And I have found that this works better when you're praying for them privately. When you're on your own, you pray for that person, and you say, God, help me love them. Because Lord, I know you see how they're not lovable. You know what I'm saying? you got to ask God for help. Ask God to help you love other people. We're way over time. So we'll talk about this next week. Will you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. I'm so glad that this is indeed a safe place. And I'm so glad that what we're talking about today is not trying to correct a problem, but instead talking about a value. Amen? Amen. Lord, I thank you for who you are for all that you have done. Help us respond to this word in the way that you want us to. Help us to come to you, to worship you, to love you, to receive your forgiveness, to ask you for help to walk this out this week. That the inside of our hearts would be filled with your presence and would become a safe place. That our love for others, that our homes the break room at work, playground at school, our life groups, this church would be a safe place because we are more focused on you than anything else. Loving you with all we've got and loving others 
with your love. I thank you, God, that you've given us this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.